Well, good morning, friends. I'm going to invite uh, those of you who are in the foyer to gather your beverages and come on back in and join us as we continue with our teaching time together this morning. My name is Brad, and I am part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And uh, many of you will know if you've been with us over the last season as we've moved through Lent that we've been uh, in a series called Hidden Figures. And so in the uh, eight weeks that we will be in this series, we'll be wrapping up next weekend uh, with Easter as we look at the uh, women who uh, met Jesus at the empty tomb. But as we've gone through this series, we've had opportunity to introduce you to an incredible array of incredibly gifted uh, leaders who are women in our community. And I want to introduce you to another one this morning, April. Uh, April is a local author and pastor. She pastored for 25 years as a lead pastor at Emmanuel, a Mennonite church in Abbotsford. Uh, she is a wonderful writer. If you've not um, been exposed to April's writings at all, she uh, and her husband Gary, who's here with her this morning, uh, have graciously brought a number of April's books, and they are wonderful and excellent and well, well worth uh, your investment. She uh, writes exceptionally well around Christian living. Uh, her latest book, uh, Four Gifts, is incredible. Um, there's bookmarks you can pick up at the table there, and you can sign up if you want to receive her e-newsletter, which is always encouraging and well worth your time to read it. Um, but you can also make sure that you, uh, let's lighten their load so they don't have to carry the books out of the car with them. Uh, one of April's books, actually, that isn't in print anymore is particularly focused on women and uh, their stories in Scripture. And so that would be uh, something that you can only get here this morning. There's only about 25 of them left in the world. So you want, might want to make your way out to the book table afterwards and uh, engage with April and with Gary uh, around that. But April, would you come this morning? And uh, April's a gifted communicator and leader. She speaks widely currently. She's a writer in residence at uh, Crossway, a church in Abbotsford. And we're so uh, gracious and, and thankful that you've uh, graciously agreed to be with us here this morning. So let's pray for you as you open God's word to us. God, we uh, thank you for this day where we mark and where we uh, begin our journey into this holy week. We pause this morning, God, and we invite you, Spirit of Jesus, to speak to us. We want to be among those whose eyes are opened, whose ears are attentive, to walk in obedience to the things that you have for us. Show us those things, God. We want to be those who are learners, not just with our heads, not just, uh, but with an intent to obey. And so give us an obedient and responsive spirit to you in this place this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, April. Well, thank you, Brad, for that introduction and warm welcome from all of you. And I wish you all a very happy Palm Sunday. Well, in the history of the Christian church and in the church that I was pastoring, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week, as Brad mentioned, and it really was the beginning of the end for Jesus as it marked the last week of his life on earth. 
So each year, in the worship of my congregation, we would relive Holy Week in a sense. So for Palm Sunday, because Jesus entered into the city in triumph and people waved palm branches and welcomed him with cries of Hosanna, praise the Lord, we would reenact that in our own way. We would invite all of the children and all of the parents with babes in arms to take a palm branch and they would walk through the congregation waving their branches and everyone else would be singing Hosanna, praise to the Lord. Well then, a few days later, on Holy Thursday, that was the day when Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples. And so in the church, we would have communion. And we would do it as a tenebrae service. Tenebrae literally means in Latin, a service of shadows. And so we would start with seven lit candles. And as we heard again the story of Jesus' arrest and of his trial, we would extinguish those candles one by one and we would lower the lights until by the end of the service, we would have communion in darkness. And as part of the tenebrae tradition, when you leave a service of shadows, you do so without talking, so no visiting in the foyer like usual. We would leave in silence, and in the very tradition, traditional sense, some of us would go all the way home before we would say a word. Well, then the next morning on Good Friday, we would have a joint worship service with other churches in our community. And one year, we planned it as a funeral for Jesus. Another year, we decided not to stay in the sanctuary, but we planned for art and for music all through the church, including the sanctuary, the foyer, the fireside room, even the kitchen. And we gave people maps so that they could go and have their own art walk, their own reflection on that last day of Jesus' life on their own. Well then, finally, Easter Sunday, we had the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, where we would have breakfast together, as you also are planning, and we would invite people to bring a flower to place on the cross as a sign of new life. Last year, we had this idea because we had large windows on the side in the sanctuary. We thought, why don't we get some sari cloth, you know, that sheer colorful cloth in Indian saris, and we put it over the windows, and it just kind of softened the light, and it made it look as if we had stained glass windows in the sanctuary. So over the years, those different ways that journey of Holy Week became a very precious part of our life together as a church. From the celebration of Palm Sunday, then to the suffering and depth of sorrow of Jesus, and then to his glorious resurrection. And yet, you know, a friend of mine who uh, cares about me and, and, and wants to make sure that I'm okay and everything, she said, but isn't that a lot of work? Isn't that a lot of worship in one week? And do people really want to be at church that much? And I have to say, well, yes, you know, it was a lot of work and it was a lot of worship, but it was also wonderfully creative and inspiring. And even for those who could not come to everything, 
and those who chose not to participate in everything, there was great value in understanding that last week of Jesus' life as a journey. Because, you know, if you just think of Sunday to Sunday, Jesus did not go directly from the celebration of Palm Sunday to the celebration of Easter Sunday as if he could skip all of the hard stuff in between. It was a journey. And I love that because it also reminds me that in our lives, we don't go from celebration to celebration either. We don't always go from high point to high point and skip the hard stuff. And Jesus doesn't skip the hard stuff of our lives either. Just like Jesus, at different points in our lives, we might feel welcomed and supported and even celebrated. I felt that way last week because it was my birthday. So Gary and I went out for a special brunch together. And the next day I had dim sum with my sisters and I got cards from friends and someone made me a birthday cake. But not every day is that kind of celebration. And in my life, I've also had my share of critics. I've had people who didn't understand me. I've had those lonely nights where I felt deserted by other people. I felt a deep sense of sorrow at the loss of people who were close to me. And just as Jesus didn't skip from celebration to celebration in Holy Week, he doesn't skip those hard parts of my life either. He is with us even when our journey is hard, even when it includes suffering, when it includes sorrow, when it includes death. Jesus remains with us, God with us through all of that, the celebrations and the hard times and everything in between. And that's the kind of genuine relationship, the kind of friendship that God offers to each one of us. And that's what I'd like to share with you this morning from Mary and Martha as friends of Jesus. What did their friendship look like? What can we learn from them about deepening our own relationship, our own friendship with God. Now, I was somewhat surprised actually to find Mary and Martha part of a series on the hidden figures of the Bible because, well, some of their story is hidden and we'll get to that, so much of their story is actually lived wide open in scripture. Mary and Martha lived with their brother, Lazarus, in the city of Bethany, the village of Bethany, just outside of the city of Jerusalem, about two and a half kilometers away, so it was well within walking distance, and there was a lot of back and forth of people traveling from Jerusalem to Bethany and from Bethany to Jerusalem, including Jesus and his disciples. That's how they got to know, how Jesus got to know. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Mary and Martha appear by name at three significant points in the life of ministry of Jesus. So for example, one day a lawyer came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It was a big question. Maybe a question posed to Jesus to kind of trick him. 
And Jesus, instead of giving a direct answer, he answered the question with a question, and he said, well, what does the law of Moses say? And the man said, love your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you're right. Go and do that. Then you will have eternal life. But the lawyer, used to kind of fine definitions and maybe splitting some hairs, he came up with another question. And he said, well, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus then answered this with a story. And it has become one of Jesus' most famous stories. Jesus said, well, there was a man, and he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he was traveling, he got robbed, and he got beaten up. And the robbers left him at the side of the road, half dead. Well, a priest came along. He was traveling to Jerusalem, probably wanting to get to the temple, and not wanting to be unclean by having contact with this man at the side of the road, the priest kept walking on the other side of the road. Well, a Levite came by, and the Levite was a, an assistant to the priest in the temple. And he also was on his way, and you know, maybe he didn't want to be late, so he kept walking on the other side. And then a Samaritan came along, and the Samaritan saw the man at the side of the road, and he had compassion on him. He dressed his wounds, and he took the man to an innkeeper and paid the innkeeper out of his own pocket to take care of the man so that he could recover. And Jesus, as he ends the story, he said, well, which one of these do you think was the neighbor to the injured man? And the lawyer replied, well, you know, it was the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Well, the story of the Good Samaritan is one of the most well-known stories of Jesus, and it illustrates the law of Moses and what Jesus called the second great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's right after that story that Jesus paid a visit to the home of Martha and Mary. Luke 10 says, now as they were on their way, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a certain village. And it's not named here, but it was the village of Bethany where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. In this visit, Martha took a leading role, maybe because she was the older sister. But she takes a leading role because the text says that she welcomed Jesus and his disciples into her home. Like a good host, Martha made sure that they had water so they could wash their feet after walking along the dusty road. She made sure the room was ready so that they would have a place to sit and have a meal and talk together. She prepared the food. She made sure that all their needs were taken care of, just like the Good Samaritan, who took care of the injured man at the side of the road. Martha also took care of Jesus and his disciples as they were on the road, and they stopped in Bethany. 
Well, the text goes on to say she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. If Martha was like the Good Samaritan, then Mary was like the priest and the Levite, so focused on the things of God. The priest and the Levite had been so focused on getting to the temple on the things of God that they passed by the other side of the injured man. And Mary is so focused on listening to Jesus that she scarcely notices the needs of those around her. She didn't get the water for their feet. She didn't get the room ready. She didn't make the food. She sat there and listened to Jesus, just as the priest and the Levite ignored everything else because they were so focused on the things of God. So too, Mary ignores the need of her sister Martha for help. She ignores the needs of the guests in their home. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't sit very well with Martha. Martha was distracted by her many tasks, says the Gospel of Luke, so she came to Jesus and she asked him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But Jesus replied, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha was clearly a doer. She did everything to be a good host to Jesus and his disciples. But you know, her act of service was not the problem. Service is a good thing. Jesus had already commended the good Samaritan for his service to the injured man. And we might well commend Martha for her wonderful hospitality and welcome to Jesus and the other disciples. But Martha was in overdrive. She was so distracted and so anxious in her serving that she was angry with Mary. She complained to Jesus instead of listening to him. Her act of service was not the problem. The problem was her worry and the lack of focus. And in that way, Mary had chosen the better part. Well, there's another small story about Martha and Mary that reinforces this. The two sisters again appear at a very significant time shortly before Jesus' arrest. And Jesus is once again in Bethany. He's once again in their home. John chapter 12 says a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. We would expect that. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. We would expect that too. And she anointed his feet with perfume. It was as if she was anointing him for his burial. So it was a very significant time in Jesus' journey toward the cross. Only this time, there is no hint that Martha was distracted or anxious. She prepared the dinner, but she's not comparing herself to Mary. She's not complaining. I kind of imagine her listening to Jesus as she's setting out the food, while Mary is simply sitting there 
listening to Jesus, anointing his feet, wiping them with her hair. Two different sisters, two different ways of honoring Jesus. One made the dinner in his honor. One anointed his feet in his honor. They offered Jesus out of who they were, and Jesus accepted them both. As friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha each followed him and served him in their own uniquely personal way. Martha was the doer. She was the leader. She was the kind of person she saw that there was a need and she made it happen to fulfill it. Mary was the more contemplative, someone who felt things deeply. And both of them could be themselves with Jesus. That's how it is with a good friend. You can be yourself. And for us too, as friends of Jesus, we deepen our relationship with him, not by faking anything, but by simply being ourselves. There is a story about a rabbi named Zusia who said, when I die and I am at the celestial gates, they will not ask me, Zusia, why were you not Moses? Because I would say, Moses is a prophet and I'm not. And they will not ask me, Zusia, why were you not Jeremiah? Because I would say, Jeremiah was a writer and I am not. And they will not say, Zusia, why were you not Rabbi Akiba? Because I would say, Rabbi Akiba is a scholar and a teacher, and I am not. But he said, they will ask me, why were you not Zusia? Why were you not who God created you to be? Just as Martha was meant to be Martha, and Mary was meant to be Mary, and each of us is meant to be ourselves in service and relationship and friendship with God. So if you are more of a doer, that's wonderful. And if you are more of a contemplative person, that's wonderful. And we can all be friends of Jesus. Well, the third significant time that Mary and Martha appear in the biblical text where they are named, they're named along with their brother Lazarus, who was very ill. And he was so ill that the sisters decided to send a message to Jesus. And they simply said, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Mary and Martha may have been very different in their temperament and in their personality, but on this, they agreed. Lazarus was sick. They needed to send a message to Jesus. But they don't outright ask Jesus to come to them in Bethany. As good friends, they would have known that Jesus' life was in danger. Time and again, as he had been teaching in the temple in Jerusalem, some people would be so angry at his words that they would want to stone him. And so Jesus and his disciples had withdrawn from Jerusalem. They went to a place near the Jordan River instead, where they were away from that, where there were other followers of him there and they were in relative safety. So Mary and Martha don't exactly ask him to come. They wouldn't want to put him in danger, but they tell him what's going on. And Jesus 
doesn't hurry to them. Instead of going immediately to their side, he waits for two more days. He stayed so long that when he finally arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had already died. Lazarus had already been buried. And when Jesus finally arrived, you know, once again, the two sisters respond in very different ways because Jesus is still on the way. He's coming toward the house and Martha runs out to meet him. Mary stays in the house. And when Martha reaches Jesus, she says to him, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And Mary, when she finally joins them, says exactly the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They may have been different sisters, but they had this same thought. And maybe that had been their common refrain as they waited for Jesus to come, as they mourned the death of their brother, as they buried him in the tomb. If only Jesus had been here, he wouldn't have died. As friends of Jesus, Martha and Mary brought their genuine questions and concerns to Jesus, even when what they had to say was not at all polite. If you had been here, it wouldn't have happened. It was not at all elegant. It was more of a rant than anything else. And as friends of Jesus, we deepen our relationship with him when we bring our genuine concerns and our genuine questions too. When things go wrong, when I find myself waiting and waiting and waiting for God to act, to answer the prayer, I want to believe that God has a purpose that is beyond our human purposes. I tell myself that God is sovereign and God's time is not my time. And God is not a puppet that I can manipulate or coerce to do what I want or what you want. God is good and God is greater, has a greater purpose than beyond what I can see and know. And yet, I have some of that Martha and Mary in me too. You know, Lord, if you had been here, there wouldn't be refugees from Syria or from Congo. If you had been there, there wouldn't be storms in the Philippines or in Japan or wherever else in the world. Where is your goodwill and way when millions of people have died in violence and war, from hunger and disease and lack of clean water? Why is the world still waiting when you have the power now? Like Martha and Mary, I sometimes take issue with God too. But God is compassionate enough and big enough to handle that, to handle our tough questions. And when Jesus finally arrived, he wept with Mary and wept with Martha. Jesus also waits and weeps with us. Well, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Even in the midst of her grief, Martha had this tremendous statement of faith. I know 
that my brother will rise on the last day. There are many portions of scripture that speak of resurrection in just that way. So later, the Apostle Paul would write to the Corinthians, God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. So these verses and many others offer encouragement and comfort in the face of death because through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the hope of a future resurrection. Death does not have the final word. Grief and sorrow don't have the final word. Pain and suffering are not the end of us. Even though it might seem that way, death is not the end. Through faith in Jesus, one day there also will be resurrection and new life. So with Martha, we might well understand resurrection as a future hope that is to come. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I will be the resurrection and the life. Not I'm looking forward to resurrection at some future date. Not wait for the resurrection in eternity. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, resurrection and new life are not only for the future, therefore here and now, in the presence of the living God. And Jesus went on to demonstrate that by raising Lazarus from the dead that very day. He didn't wait until the end of time. But on that very day, Lazarus experienced resurrection as a present experience. Jesus went to the tomb. He prayed. He asked for the stone to be removed. And then he called out to Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, by the miraculous power of God, came out of the tomb fully alive. And they had to pull the grave cloths off of him. He didn't have to wait till the end. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to wait either. As friends of Jesus, Martha and Mary had the hope of resurrection. And as we deepen our relationship with him, we hope in resurrection too. Our own experience might not be as dramatic as Lazarus experienced. His was a unique situation in a particular time and place. Yet like Lazarus, Mary and Martha, we may well find ourselves in situations in life that seem hopeless. We may find ourselves asking, Lord, where are you? Why aren't you here? Why the delay? We may find ourselves in situations where we wonder, how could God let this happen? Where is the resurrection and the life. And it is out of those depths of despair, the depths of doubt, the depths of grief, of sin, of whatever it is, out of those depths, Jesus also calls us by name 
calls us to come out, to receive new life and to be free. In that sense, we can all have a resurrection experience for the power of God can transform whatever kind of difficulty or death we may face in this life. Fear, disappointment, anger, loss, the daily grind of work, the routine of ordinary life, as the resurrection and the life Jesus comes to bring abundant life, not only in the future, but in the here and now today. Now, as friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha are not always named in the biblical text. So, for example, the Gospel of Mark tells how Jesus and his disciples prepared for that very first Palm Sunday. When Jesus rode in triumph into the city of Jerusalem, the Gospel of Mark says, first of all, when they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, Jesus sent two of his disciples into the village to get the colt that Jesus would ride into the city. Jesus was at Bethany again, perhaps even at the home of Martha and Mary, although it doesn't say that here. From there, he rode into the city. Many in the crowds then spread their garments along the path and they cut down branches and they waved them and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and after spending some time there, the gospel says, as it was already late, Jesus went out to Bethany with the 12. Then on the following day, they came from Bethany. So Jesus stays overnight in Bethany after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He was at Bethany to get ready. Afterward, he spends the night in Bethany, perhaps even at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus because they so often hosted him. And then later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus says to his disciples, he appears to them and takes them out and he led them out as far as Bethany again. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. So throughout the gospels, Bethany played a significant role in Jesus' ministry. It was the home of his good friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It was where he raised Lazarus from the dead. It was a place of preparation before that first Palm Sunday. And it was a place of rest and refreshment after that Palm Sunday. It was the place where Mary anointed him as if for his burial. It was the place after his resurrection that Jesus led his disciples and gave them a final blessing. No wonder author Frank Viola calls Bethany God's favorite place on earth. Well, as friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha were not mentioned every time it says Bethany, but that's where they lived and that's where they often hosted Jesus. 
And it reminds me that as friends of Jesus, they and we are not always named in official records. We're not always named and acknowledged. One of the books that I brought, as Brad says, is uh, Remember Lot's Wife and Other Unnamed Women of the Bible. It's one of the oldest books and now out of print. So yes, there are only uh, just the final copies, about 25 or so that are left. And I, I have them here if you're interested. But in it, there are stories of 50 unnamed women. We might think of them as 50 hidden figures in the Bible. But they have their own story to tell and their own lessons to teach us. And I find that encouraging because, you know, in the official histories that are going to be written about our day, most of us, maybe all of us, will be like hidden figures in that history too. And we might sometimes feel like hidden figures, not recognized really for who we are in the church or at work or school or at times even in our own families. Yet even as hidden figures, we too have our own stories to tell, our own lessons to teach, and we too can be friends of Jesus who welcome his presence just as Mary and Martha welcomed Jesus' presence in their home. We can honor him in the way we serve and the way we listen. We can receive him into our homes and into our hearts. Like Martha, when we are grieving or troubled, we can run to Jesus with our questions. Like Mary, we can listen deeply. We can be assured that he weeps with us when we go through those hard times and that he will listen when we speak our mind as Martha so often did. So as friends of Jesus, let us follow and serve him in our own uniquely personal way as God has gifted us. Let us bring our genuine questions and our concerns to Jesus even when they are difficult because God is compassionate and doesn't skip the hard stuff in our lives. Let us hope in resurrection, not only for the future, which is wonderful, but also for today in whatever we face. While we may not always be named in official records, we have something far more important in friendship with Jesus. So let us welcome his presence in our hearts and in our homes, in the church and wherever we are. Amen.